Thank you guys for coming on out tonight. How many of you all did the Psalm 119 challenge? Let me see the hands. Sweet, a few of you guys. Good, good, good. Tell you what, I was in that Psalm, of course, this morning. And so awesome. Psalm, uh, I was in the section, verses 145 through uh, 152, where it says here, I rise before the dawning of the morning. How many guys were up before the dawn of the morning doing your devotions in the Word? Come on now. Everybody get their hands up. Come on now. You had to be. It says, I, I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. We needed help this morning. I hope in your word. I love this. Then he goes on to say, my eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate on your word. How many of you find yourself meditating on God's word while you're sleeping? I call that my mystic sleep. Quoting scriptures while I'm sleeping. I know I'm asleep and yet... The word's going through my heart and my mind. Verse 149, hear my voice according to your loving kindness. O Lord, revive me according to your justice. They draw near who follow after wickedness, the demons of the devil, and they are far from your law. Here it is. You are near, O Lord, and your commandments are truth. Tell you what, one thing for sure, I shared this with the leadership tonight. Who knows what the truth is? Amen? We're never going to know the truth about this coronavirus and all the stuff that's going on. I don't think ever. But God knows the truth. And the wonderful thing is we hold the truth in our hands, guys. This is it. We got the truth. So let's turn to the book of 1 Peter. Chapter 2 tonight. We're going to be covering verses 4 through 10. The title of the message is A Precious Privilege. And we love, of course, Peter. Again, remember, he's encouraging those who have been dispersed, who are going through trials and persecutions and elections <laughs> and madness. And I love how he started out, of course, in, in chapter one, where he, he, he basically just hey, man, pouring on about the fact that we are saved, that we've been given a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance which is incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Your reservations are in. In this you greatly rejoice. So now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. We don't like that part. We'll skip over that part. But we come to the point where we are filled with joy inexpressible and full of glory at our salvation. So Peter, of course, encouraged him. And then remember we talked about the proper response to that salvation. Where Peter now said, hey, Chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Then he started talking about our conduct, to conduct ourselves. A proper response, conducting ourselves towards maturity. To conduct ourselves in reverence. To conduct ourselves in love. Remember we talked about that? Meaning that we receive God's love. We see what God is doing. And then we went into the word, the power of the word. Anybody believe the power of the word? Amen. Word is powerful. Power to change a life. Power to endure forever. The power that God's word will never change. And of course, the power to feed your soul, you guys. And I hope that some of you, many of you found yourself in a brand new place this last week, reading God's word in the morning or whenever, receiving the feeding that God has and the devotions that were there. And we love that part, of course, the power to change. And, of course, Peter telling them to lay aside the junk 
and to feed on the pure milk of the word. And then tonight, though, we see again, Peter, he kind of shifts now again to from a response to again pouring on the grace, pouring on the love, pouring on the great things that God has done in a way to try and encourage these believers that are being persecuted beyond what we could even imagine. We think of being out here under a tent as a persecution. Absolutely not. They were being killed. They were being cast out. They were being kicked out of their families, murdered and such. So again, he wants to encourage them. And I love the fact that in this passage of encouraging, he's speaking to these believers who had come out of Judaism, remember, out of the law and religion and works and traditions. They're being introduced to Christianity and the wonderful privileges that come just because they put their belief and trust in Jesus. And Peter's really taking them out of religion into Christ, into Christianity, from law to grace, from what man can do for God to what God has done for man. And Christianity starts with God and what God has done for us. See, religion starts with man and what man can do for God. Anybody been involved in religion? In Christianity, man responds to what God is, does. In religion, God responds to what man does. In Christianity, I obey because I'm accepted. In religion, I obey to be accepted. In Christianity, I see and get to enjoy the privileges of knowing God personally through His Son, Jesus Christ. And Peter lays out these privileges. But before I read that, let's go and read the passage. Verse 4, chapter 2. Coming to Him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you, here it is, guys, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. These precious promises to us, number one, the, the privilege of sonship, verse 4, the privilege of membership, verses 5 through 9a, and the privilege of ambassadorship, verse 9b to verse number 10. So starting off, number one, the privilege of sonship. And that's a wonderful thing, guys, to think that we are sons of God. He says, coming to him as to a living stone. And the idea here is that they had come to him for salvation. While the mass of people rejected him. They had seen that he was the one chosen of God. And they had come to him in order to be saved. And Peter, of course, is referring to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The chosen one, the anticipated one, spoken of by the prophets, even as we realized there in verses uh, 10 through 
12 that Bob taught on. And so in this, this chosen one, number one, he was the living stone, you guys. The one who was resurrected and is alive forevermore. This idea, this, this rock. He was, number two, the rock on which the church was built. He was the foundation. He is the cornerstone. And of course, guys, in that, he is the source of all spiritual blessing in our lives. He was rejected, number three, by the Jews. And, and remember, Jesus, he didn't fit their idea of Messiahship. No, no, he wasn't, he wasn't born of the, of the right tribe. He didn't have the right, right stuff, so to speak. He was a little bit questionable in the, in the idea of who his mom was and who his dad was. He was just the son of a common carpenter. No, no, no. They were looking for some mighty earthly king. And that Jesus, though, came and we know he was the lamb that was slain. So he was rejected by the Jews, but he was the one chosen by God. Interesting. The Jews rejected him because of, no, nah, no, nah, he's just not the right guy. He can't be, that, he can't be the Messiah. And yet God, we know, chose him. And Acts 2.23 says that him being delivered by the predetermined purpose and foreknowledge of God. See, he was delivered over to the Jews to be crucified for our sins by God's predetermined plan, chosen by God, which made him precious, you guys, in that he would go to the cross and die for us, highly valued, valuable and honored by God. And number five, we have come to him, this precious one, it means that we have believed. In John 1:12, what does it mean? What does it say? Because of this, because we have believed, we have become his children. We have received sonship, the privilege of sonship. John 1:12 says, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And of course, this all speaks of the privilege, guys, of sonship. The privilege of being called a son of God. And what is this privilege as sons? Number one, we have access to his throne. Access to his throne. Anytime, any place, no fear, we can come to him because we are his sons. Amen? Hebrews 4, 16, let us never come boldly or confidently with no fear to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Ephesians 3, 11, says, in just the way he had always planned it through Jesus Christ, our Lord, now we can come fearlessly right into God's presence, assured of his glad welcome when we come with Christ and trust in him. And guys, just like those of us who have sons and we can even throw daughters in there, man, they can come in anytime. Up there in my office, they knock on the door, walk in, no problem. Other people, they got to knock. They got to wait for me to say, oh, come on in, because I might be on the phone, might be busy, might be sleeping. You never know, might be doing anything. But my sons walk in. They have that express privilege because they are my sons. And as his sons, you guys, we have the same privilege, the same privilege. We have access to his throne. Number two, we are heirs to his kingdom. This is the privilege of sonship. As a child of God adopted into his kingdom, we are heirs with all the privileges of a son, you guys. Galatians 4, 4 through 7, I love this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, 
born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And of course, this expression means that we shall be partakers of that inheritance which God bestows upon his people. Brothers, the privilege of sonship and its inheritance, of course, is his favor here and now while we're on earth and then eternally in the life after this. Peter tells us that, of course, that inheritance is incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved, guys. Remember we talked about that. Your reservations are in, man. God called up. He made it. You're good to go. Whatever time it might be, maybe tonight it's 10.30 p.m. tonight for some of you guys. Your reservation's in. Can't get out of the reservation, but praise God, wouldn't that? Wouldn't it be awesome if all of our reservations were happening in about three minutes at 7.30? Man, we all just like, poo, we blew this tent, the roof off this tent. We're gone, brothers. So we have that, but also number three, we have a personal relationship with God. We have an inheritance but we have this personal relationship, guys. And, you know, it's crazy sometimes. You talk to people who don't know anything about the Lord, and, hey, I know Jesus. Yeah, it's a personal relationship. Like, what are you talking about? It's a crazy thing as it sounds. We have a personal relationship with the God of the universe, the God who threw it all and spoke it all into existence. We have a personal relationship with him. And this is, of course, the privilege of knowing God. John 17, 3, Jesus saying, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you know God tonight? You're supposed to say, amen, yes, brother, yes, we know him. That wasn't a trick question, brothers. <laughs> you know him, you know him. But this is even cooler, John 10, 27, Jesus again saying, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. We know God, and he knows us, you guys. In 2 Corinthians 6, 19, Paul's quoting Leviticus 26, 12. He says, I will dwell with them. I will walk with them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. In this personable fellowship with God, we have this God. In Isaiah 41, 13 says, Fear not, for I am with you. I will hold your right hand, saying, do not fear God himself holding your right hand. And so we have this personal relationship, part of the privilege of sonship. Do you guys realize that you're sons of God? Are you living that way? Are you believing that? And with, with that, all the privileges that are there, man, you come in anytime. You have this personal relationship with your God you meet with him, you talk with him, you hang out with him. He's your counselor. He's with you 24-7. He's with you while you sleep. He's with you everywhere you go. There to strengthen you, to encourage you, to, to walk you through this crazy life, man. Man, so number one, the privilege of sonship. Amazing, amazing, guys, So we have that privilege. Number two, we have the privilege of membership, verses 5 through 9. He says, and you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices 
acceptable to God through Jesus. And you know what's cool? It's always cool to be a member of something, huh? Even if it's just to be a member of Costco. I'm mean, that's, that's cool enough. I'm a member of Costco, man. I got my card. And, and you know, it's funny. I was thinking about it. What was so cool about going to Costco is you could actually have lunch while you're shopping. And the bummer is that that's all gone right now. So I'm like opening packages in the back and eating the grit. No, just, just kidding. <laughs> but man, it, um, back in March, before, right before COVID hit, me and my uh, youngest son, we flew to Bozeman, Montana. And we went out there to go skiing at Big Sky Resort. Anybody been to Big Sky? Man, what a ski resort. It actually is the largest in acreage um, in North America uh, if you don't go with what they've done in Utah, Park City, in combining all the resorts there. It's one single resort. It's huge. But the crazy thing about uh, Big Sky is right next to it, there's this thing called the Yellowstone Club. And the Yellowstone Club is a private community with its own private 3,000-acre ski resort that is exclusively and only for members. Be awesome to be a member of that club, huh? But here's, here's the catch, though. First off, you have to own a house in this community. And they start at $2 million and go all the way up to $25 million. Then on top of that, you got to pay the initiation fee, the, which is 400000 just to get in. And then your annual dues at this point in time are 41000 a year. Anybody got that kind of money? Man, yeah, we got that money in heaven. Crazy, amazing place, though, when you, you kind of get right up to the boundary. You want to, like, sneak in. Nobody's going to see and jump over there. But um, I guess Tom Brady lives there. Bill Gates lives there. Bill Gates has a house everywhere. Justin Timberlake, and name a few. But you think about that, that privilege that they have of membership. That guy is nothing. Say it with me. Nothing compared to the membership that we have. And the membership we are talking about is membership in the household of God. As Peter said, that we as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house with the exclusive privilege to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. And what are the privileges, the memberships outlined in this passage? Number one is members. Number one, we are united with Christ. Verse five, living translation says it like this. And now you have become living building stones for God's use in building his house. And as living stones, we are united with him as stones in a spiritual building, which is the house of his church, you guys. So we're united with Christ. But number two, we have eternal life, of course. Verse 9, jumping down, Peter says we are a chosen generation. When I believe on Christ, I am chosen for and am allowed to partake in eternal life. And because we believe, God chooses. And all who believe, you guys, are chosen. And we're chosen to receive the ultimate privilege of the membership of eternal life, guys. We have that club membership, the eternal life membership. Of course, we know in 1 John 5, 11, 13, if you ever are in question about your salvation or about eternal life, Go to that passage, because John writes for us, he says, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. 
These things I've spoken and written to you who believe in the name of Son of God that you may know, that you may know you have eternal life. A lot of people don't know. How do I know this? Well, I hope so. I think so. Well, no, I can read it and I know it. I can, it speaks to my heart that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And so this idea of eternal life, and, and the cool thing is, you guys, you think about this, the dispersed at that time, they were chosen. They were chosen of, of God, of course. They were chosen for salvation, but also they were the generation that received the Messiah. Remember what chapter 1 Verse 12 said, To them it was revealed that not to themselves, the prophets, of course, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. This salvation, this coming of the Messiah, the, the expected one, the anticipated one. They had that privilege, guys. They were that chosen generation. And could it be that we are the chosen generation to be the ones that are here when Christ comes a second time? And of course, first and foremost, when he comes to take the church up, when he raptures the church, and then we go to heaven for seven years at the marriage supper of the Lamb, the marriage feast of the Lamb, while the man of sin is revealed, the three and a half years of peace comes, then after that, he goes into the temple, desecrates the temple, and then three and a half years of Revelation chapter 6 through 18 and 19 takes place. When you read that, you don't want to be here. No way, no how. And sad to say that those who are left behind during that time, it's going to be terrible. We'll be in heaven waiting. And then when that time culminates and the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise and we come we come back with Jesus. We come back with his second coming. And he comes, destroys the kingdoms of the earth. Then he creates a new heaven, new earth for us to be. And we reign with him a thousand years back on earth. All that being said, guys, we could be that chosen generation. How many of you believe that tonight? Could be. It could be. Crazy, though. Anyhow, we have eternal life. But also, number three, we have a holy occupation. Verse 9. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And as royal priesthood, we get to serve and work for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The best job in the universe, guys, the highest calling. What a privilege it is. And I think about myself here being a pastor now, 27 and a half years. Man, I cannot tell you guys how much of a privilege that has been. It still blows my mind today to think about how that all happened and the privilege that it's been here to serve you guys, to serve this church building here, this church, and the one where we started over there uh, next to what was REI, where Mission Ebenezer is now. A privilege, you guys. But we all have this privilege as priests, you guys, to serve God. And royal in the Greek is king. So really it means that we are king priests associated, associated with Jesus in his priesthood. And the cool thing Revelation 1, 5, 6 says this, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever, guys. And this occupation is earthly, 
and it is heavenly. First, to be priest right here, right now, to our world while we live. Priest to lead them, priest to take them and, and introduce them to Jesus, to minister to them. But also, second, to be ministers of God to his saints when we get to heaven. And of course, according to this verses, the verse, we're priests. Kind of hard to believe. I don't like the word priest, though, myself. I mean, of course, that's too much of an association with the, uh, the Catholic Church. I like to be called Rob. I know pastor is there. We call pastors around here. But all that means is just I'm a servant. And you guys are all pastors. Remember when we were talking in Titus last year? You were all leaderships, leaders in training. You've been raised up to be pastors in your home, pastors in your neighborhood, pastors to your family. Coming up on Thanksgiving, you get to go and be a pastor to your family there and try and figure out how you can eat a, you know, a piece of turkey with a mask on. <laughs> yeah, we'll all be wearing masks at Thanksgiving. Yes, sir. Amen. So, but also, number four, as members, we have a wonderful family. And this is what I love so much about being Christian, so much about being associated with this church and with the body of Christ, man. We have a wonderful family. Peter says we're a holy nation, a people set apart and consecrated into Christ, not of this world. Remember, guys, we're not of this world. We're of heaven. And Peter says also we are his own special people, bought to be God's own possession, redeemed to be in the family of God, you guys. And that's what we have in Christ, a huge, wonderful family of believers, his family, a household of God. And this idea, you guys, of, of having a belonging, a place to belong, a place to come, a place where you feel comfortable, a place where you're loved, a place where you're accepted for just who you are. No matter how goofy you are, no matter how crazy you are, no matter what you think or what you talk about, no matter if you love the Dodgers or you don't love the Dodgers. I mean, we have this family. And, and I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, 22. He says it like this. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone to whom the whole building fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. You guys, members of this wonderful family in five, this membership comes because we have believed. Simply because we have believed. Verse six and seven, therefore, it is also contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means put, be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected, the Jews, he has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. This membership comes because we believe Zion, of course, is Jerusalem. The chief cornerstone is Jesus, to whom the whole house is built upon. Without that cornerstone, without that cornerstone, the crazy thing with, those, with the buildings, and these people knew exactly what we were talking about. And if you've been to Israel, you've been to Jerusalem, you see the buildings where they're made, you see the cornerstone. And the cornerstone had to be perfectly cut. 
It had to be perfectly placed because if it wasn't, the rest of the building, the rest of the, everything was out of whack, would even fall down. Jesus was that perfect cornerstone, perfectly cut for us. But to those who rejected him, man, to those who were disobedient to the gospel, those unwilling to be persuaded that he was the Messiah, he is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. See, a stone of stumbling was any stone that the people could trip over. As they moved down a road and a rock of offense was the rock bed that they would be crushed against after they fell over the stone. And what Peter is saying is that Jews threw away the true cornerstone. As they moved, as, as, and, they, and they wound up following, falling over it, only to be finally crushed in judgment by the same rock. And because they rejected him, you guys, they got what is planned or appointed for those who reject him. Because it says here, though they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. They stumbled. They were appointed to that. Not that that was planned or predetermined. Helicopter pause. But it was because they rejected him. See, in rejecting him and doing so, they forfeited their membership in this club, you guys. So we have this wonderful privilege of membership. And number three, verse nine, and 10, we have the privilege of ambassadorship. Verse 9 and 10, But you, me, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Can I get a great big amen about that, you guys? And Peter now tells them, this is the reason for all the other privileges. The reason all the benefits from knowing Christ. And here now, guys, really, this is, I think, one of the most awesome privileges that we have. This, this privilege of ambassadorship. That you may proclaim the praises of him. We get to tell others about Jesus and what he's done in our lives. We don't need to have a doctorate in theology. We don't need to know Greek and Hebrew. All we need to do is tell people what Jesus did for me and for you. Simple as that. I once was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, now I see. And what all, whatever your testimony entails, what all that was before, and then who it was who caused the change in your conduct who corrected you, who fixed you, who cleaned you up, who made you a new person, who made you a new creation in Christ, completely turned your life around, gave you clear head and sobriety for me. Man, that was Jesus. We get to tell people about that. That you could proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness, who brought you into his marvelous light, who made you the people of God, who poured out mercy on your lives, and now you are the people of God. Man, and this means that in proclaiming these praises, you guys, we are representing Christ to a dying world, and this speaks of ambassadorship. And what is an ambassador? We know. It's one who is sent from a country to another country to represent him who sent him. 
And where is our citizenship, brothers? And what country are we from? And what country have we been sent to symbolically and spiritually? Not another trick question. Right here to earth, brothers. <laughs> to the United States. To California, to Torrance, to Carson, to South Bay. We have been sent as his ambassadors. As citizens of heaven, we have been sent by God to proclaim the praises of him. So number one, we are his special people chosen to be his ambassadors, to represent the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, to proclaim the praises that others might be reconciled to God. And Paul himself declared that he was an ambassador as well. In Ephesians 6.20, he says, I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And also Paul was an ambassador given that ministry of reconciliation that we read about in 2 Corinthians 5.20. It says, now then... We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled. And so in this, this idea of being an ambassador, we've been given this ministry, you guys. We've been given the privilege, but also with this ministry that we are going to proclaim. We're going to tell people about Jesus. We're going to let them know how he has changed our lives. Simple as it may be, I was lost. Now I'm found. I was blind. Now I see. And this is what we get to do, you guys. We don't have to do it. We're not forced to do it. This is the privilege, guys, of ambassadorship. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1 as we close. And we're going to see in this story represented by the leper who was cured and he was healed. But he was also told to keep quiet by Jesus in this, this story. But the wonderful thing is, he couldn't help it. He couldn't help it. So Mark chapter 1, verse 40. I love this passage. I love this story here. And this is us, you guys. Put your name in there. You were the leper. We are the lepers. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, saying, saying to him, If you are willing you can make me clean. Thank God he was willing. Amen. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. Man, what a radical thing was. You weren't supposed to touch someone with the leper. But Jesus did. He touched him. And he said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once saying, hey, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer yourself cleansing, and offer for yourself cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Jesus wasn't yet ready for them to reveal who he was. He was still a plan going forward. But here, I love verse 45. Here it is. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely, and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city. What an evangelist this guy was. What a proclaimer this guy was. Think about it. He must have gone everywhere, through the city, through the town, through the marketplace, anywhere he could, telling them, man, I was a leper. The people who knew him and saw him, what happened to you? I just saw you on the street corner. You were begging. You were filthy. You unclean we couldn't even come near you now you look at your hole man think about that you guys 
But that was us. That was us. That's what we got to do. We were filthy. We were the leper. We were unclean. Man, even your own families didn't want to have anything to do with you. I remember my, my, one of my older brother, Rick, anytime we had a family gathering, he's like, oh, no, please, please tell us that no one invited him. Please. And then I remember one time <laughs> we were out in my brother's house, I think in Ontario, years, years, years ago. And he, he lived right next to an open dirt field. And we're there and everything. Everybody's kind of like checking the watches. Well, he isn't here yet. He isn't here yet. Maybe he's not going to come. And I kid you not, we're out there in the backyard. And of course, that was back in the BC days. I was still drinking anyhow. And we're sitting there. And all of a sudden, we look across the dirt field. And there's my brother. He's pushing his broken down motorcycle. And already drunk. And like, oh, my gosh. Didn't want to be around him. That was us. Family didn't want to be around him. And yet, here he was. Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. The leper couldn't help it. And that reminds me of the time in 1994. Anybody remember the Promise Keepers? Anybody? 1994 at Anaheim? And one of the keynote speakers was E.V. Hill. And what did he preach on? And the crazy thing... Evie Hill had a wonderful gift of when he preached, he would hone in on just one or two or three main points. And then he would hone in on the main point of the message to drill it into you. And I still remember his message and what the main point was from 1994 when Evie Hill got finished with this passage of scripture, he went on and said, I can't help it. Anybody remember that? And in Evie Hill's massive way of preaching it, I can't help it! I can't help it! And he had the whole crowd, the whole stadium, chanting that back and forth. Back, I can't help it! I can't help it! I can't help it! And he just kind of walked off the stage. And all the guys are still chanting, I can't help it! I can't help it! And guys, that's what it means to be an ambassador for Jesus. That's what it means to have been healed and called out of darkness to this privilege that we have of ambassadorship, this privilege we have to be chosen by God, to be a son, to represent him, to live for him, to, to receive all the blessings that we have, this, this idea of this personal relationship, to proclaim the praises of him who's called us out, you guys. And so some application for us tonight Number one, have you received these privileges to yourself? You are a son. You are an heir. You are a child of God. You're a member of his household for all eternity. Do you feel that way? Do you believe that? More importantly, are you living that way? Or are you living like a stepchild? Anybody a stepchild out there? I was a stepchild. I wasn't a one-legged stepchild like uh, the apostle spoke of in that movie, but I was a stepchild, and it's a difference. It feels weird. Now, thank God my stepdad loved me, and, and I've shared that, I mean, I believe our relationship was even better than my real dad. But are you living like a stepchild, or are you living like a true son of the living God? Guys, you got to. You got to find yourself in that place, and you got to realize, man, I'm a son. I'm a son. I come anytime, any place because of the blood of Jesus who has cleansed me. Man, I have access to God. And I know him 
and he knows me. Do you know God tonight? All right, all right, a little better, a little better. Number two, are you enjoying the privileged position in Christ? It's a privileged position, you guys. Chosen, a priest to God, a part of his family, welcome anytime at the throne. Are you enjoying that? You know, have you ever found yourself experiencing something in life where it was a pretty incredible privilege that most people would never experience? Think about it. Anybody out there? Something? You know, I was thinking about this. I remember I, I, I experienced a privilege that, that I would say nobody in this room or this tent have experienced. It was back, I don't know how many years, maybe 20 years ago, back when um, they were doing all the pastor's conference and Pastor Steve was the, the pastor here, of course, when he's still alive. Well, I had the privilege of joining him and meeting Pastor Chuck out in a private hangar at Orange County Airport, getting on a six-seater jet and flying from Orange County to Tucson to go to the pastor's conference. It was me, it was Pastor Steve, it was Pastor Chuck, and somebody else I can't remember. Four of us. I mean, I was, I, I was like, man, this is pretty cool. This is pretty tight. This is a privilege. Think about the other things that you may have experienced in your life that no one else is a part of. See, those kind of things, this is a privilege that we're talking about here. Are you enjoying your privileged position in Jesus? Remember, we have access to him anytime, guys. That's how much he loves us. That's why his son came. That's what, what Peter's talking about here. That's what he's trying to do to encourage these believers. Guys, hey, huh, you're, you're chosen. You're royal priesthood. You're royalty in God's eyes. What? Me? Yes, you. You're holy. You're a holy nation, his own special people. So are you enjoying the privileged position, guys? Number three, in response to what God has done for you, have you responded like the leper. Have you responded like the leper? Leper. And see, the wonderful thing about Christianity is that you don't have to respond this way. You don't have to. But guess what? You get to. And because of what he's done, you want to, you guys. Because it is a privilege. I love in Jude 24 25, Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. In 1 Timothy 1.17, now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God alone who is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever and ever and ever. And when you're through with that, more forevers. Amen, guys? This is the God we serve. And brothers, I want to encourage you tonight, this privilege that we have of being saved, of coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ, of salvation, of eternal life. Man, guys, this is what we need to focus on. Taking our eyes off the things of this earth, not letting what is happening around us weigh us down like we talked about. We're laying aside that stuff. We are set free from that. Because all that stuff doesn't matter a hill of beans in eternity. What matters is what God has done 
and doing for us and the privilege that we have of knowing him, of being, because man, it could be tonight your race is over. It could be tonight at 1030. Man, your time is up. And guess what? Whoo! No more bills. No more taxes. No more politics. No more virus. No more nothing except glory in the paradise of God with his people forever. No sin. Nothing, guys. That's what we're talking about. So stand with me. Let's pray. And I encourage you to go out here tonight, read this passage again, and receive and believe those privileges that you have as a child, as a son of God, you guys. All because of what Christ did for us. And Father, we again thank you so much for this night. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths that are in it. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have. That we are saved. That we have hope. We have a living hope that is so far beyond this earth and this life. We have an inheritance, as we have said, that's incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for us who are kept by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, Lord, we are greatly rejoicing. And again, Lord, we praise you for Jesus. We praise you for your wonderful plan for salvation. Thank you, Lord, that we said yes. Thank you, Lord, that we have believed and we have received. And so, Lord, send us out to go to all those who have rejected you, to, Lord, even as Paul said, that we beg that they would be reconciled to God. Bless my brothers in their group time. Bless their lives, we pray. And we commit all this to you in Jesus' name. And all God's men said, amen. amen. Brothers. <laughs>